tried to explain a little bit earlier. My classes, I tried to not so much convey, uh, you know, a body of knowledge which um, it would be good if people had in their head as a resource. Um, as, as for instance, if you know, if Noam gives a talk about foreign policy and he gives all these facts and stuff, well, that's great stuff to have at your disposal. And it's not going to be that much of that. Um, rather, I'm trying to convey concepts, ways of thinking, how things interrelate, um, a framework in which the evidence, the facts, make sense, and in which you can think about things and uh, and pursue them to uh, useful ends. Now, whether that works or not, we'll see. But that's what I'm trying to do in here, in, in the economics course, which is really taking a part of this course, you'll see as we go along, and doing it more thoroughly, the economics part. And in the economic vision, I'm doing economic vision, but again, I'm not just laying out something. We're going to develop it from scratch, as if we were just starting out from scratch with nothing, and we're trying to develop an economic vision that somebody might want to do. That's what we'll do in that course. So here we're going to try to develop a radical theory from scratch. Um, <clears throat> okay, so first of all, uh, what's, what is, what's the theory? Anybody? Now, we move fast if people are willing to jump in. If you don't jump in, I start answering. And that's <laughs> not as good. Just quickly, what's the theory in your own head? Huh? Concept. An idea designed to explain something else. All right, so something designed to explain something. Concept, yeah? Some other ideas? It's been tested ex experimentally, and, and there's some validity to these. Right. Yeah, and you are in what field? <laughs> really? I'm in, I'm in <laughs> <laughs> The best laid plans. Smashed right at the outset. Okay, that's a scientist's answer. For, for a scientist, the theory is so, isn't a hypothesis. Out in the street, you know, you have a theory of why the moon comes up each night, or a theory of why it feels bad in the third week of the month or something. It's just like a broad hypothesis, something that isn't tested. It is, theory is more like truth in science. It's something that's established and, and well-developed and it has evidence for it and so on and so forth. But in any case, well, somebody said it was to explain. What else is a theory for? Anything other than just explaining things? Make predictions. Make predictions. Okay, so this always happens. I have a little outline here. The first one is explain. The second one is predictions. Can anybody get the third one? Justify. Justify. Okay, but that's like explain if you're a bad guy. <laughs> Rationalize. And that's what neoclassical economics does for the economy. It doesn't explain it, it makes up a batch of crap to justify it. We'll see that later. Um, what was it that somebody else said? Solve a problem. Solve a problem, which is to say, what does that mean, solve a problem? It's to doing something, what's it doing for us if it's solving a problem? It's giving a course of action that's guiding us. Okay, so that's it. So a theory is to explain, to predict, <coughs> or to guide. Um, do all theories do all three? Just so we get a little bit of basic underpinning here. Do all three theories, name me a theory which does, um, at best, only the first. This is a hard question. I don't often ask hard questions. Neoliberalism. That's not even a, I don't even want to count that as a theory. No, a real theory, something that's really valuable, that's used by people, right? Can anybody do this, huh? The Big Bang. No, that, that explains, the Big Bang predicts the amount of hydrogen and helium in the air. It predicts, it doesn't guide anything, except for those who think, you know, it doesn't guide anything. Huh? You're very close. Now, what's a good one? Yeah, natural evolution predicts virtually nothing. Guides virtually nothing, explains a ton. Right? So there is such a thing as theories which don't do all three of these things. Right? 
And there are lots of theories which don't guide anything, like for instance, you know, certain parts of physics or certain parts of, of, of some other realms, but of course other parts of it do guide things, like lasers, which come out of it, right? Okay. Um, for guidance, what is it really giving us in the social realm? The theory, if it's going to guide us in the social realm, first it provides us with a set of rules. Well, a policy insight. It's going to help us come up with, a, uh, with what we want, right? So it helps us come up with a vision, and then it helps us come up with strategy, right? All right, that's pretty straightforward. Okay, now you said right off the bat concept. Now this is harder. Everybody uses this word all the time. Okay, fine. What's the concept? The way of naming something is otherwise abstract or difficult to do when you're putting your hands on it's like knowledge is a concept, you can't touch okay. it or handle it. So it's a, it's a label, right? It's a, it's a name. It's basically a word. Yeah? So, and some of them are, are naming something that's abstract, like knowledge, or person. Person is abstract, because not me and you, right? But, but it, basically, it's a slice of reality. A concept is a label that you put on a slice of reality. That's all it is. You're, you're, think of the world as this gigantic intermeshed tapestry, right? Like a, a bowl full of stuff that's all mixed up with no differentiation. And now we take a slice of it and we put a name on it, and we call it a concept. To do what? To highlight that slice. So the reason that we have the concept is precisely so that we can talk about that slice and to point us toward that slice as something worth talking about. That's what a concept is. Concepts are very, very important, because if you don't have a concept for some particular slice, what happens? You don't think about it, and you can't talk about it. And if you do have a concept for it, you at least may think about it and can talk about it. And if you have a highlighted concept for it, you'll be pushed toward it. We'll see this is very important very shortly. Okay, so that's a concept. If that's a concept, and that's what it's for, what's our criteria for setting up concepts, for choosing concepts? You do choose concepts. You do set up concepts. That is to say, I could decide that, that I want the word premise to, to apply to the, the, the entity that is the two of them combined. I now have a concept. It refers to the two of them combined, right? I mean, literally, I can do that if I want to. Just like people come up with all different meanings for the word democracy. We all use the word, but everybody has a different slice of reality. Not everybody, but a lot of people have different slices of reality in their head when they use the word. It helps that we use the word with the same meaning. Then we can communicate. And it helps that the word has some value. It refers to something that matters. How, what are the criteria that we need to use as political people trying to come up with concepts that are relevant to what we're trying to do. Universal definitions? We want definitions that, that communicate well, that, that aren't so obscure or so oddball that nobody knows what we're talking about. Yes, very much so. Well, that will come up much more as we go along. What else has to be the case? An identifiable phenomena of some sort? Or? We want them to refer to something that's real. Yeah. And we want it to be true. Right? We don't want concepts that are that, are, that just are, are words and they refer to something and they make believe something is there, but it isn't really there. So we want true concepts and that refer to something that's real, but what else? Lots of ambiguity. As much as we can, yes, yeah. for communication purposes. <clears throat> do, we, do we want this concept premise that I just came up with here? I'm starting to write a book about radical theory. Do I want to have on page one the concept premise? 
which is the two of these guys? <laughs> Why? It's true. It's a slice of reality. It's a label for it. It's unambiguous, right? And it's not a very hard word. What's wrong with it? It's not relevant. It's useless. Okay, so then what, so we want usefulness, but now what makes something useful? Explaining and guiding. Content. Yeah, explaining and guiding, particularly guiding when you're, you know, concerned with changing the world and making it better. So we'll see as we go along. It's obvious. All these things are obvious. In fact, from one end to the other of what I teach, almost all the questions, if you just get out prejudices, are simple. Um, these are so far simple questions, but we're going to get quite far quickly. All right, I want to get some examples of concepts, just so we make sure that we know this. Give me an example of a, uh, an, a, a biological concept that's valuable. Species. Species, okay, relevant to the inside of our bodies. What? Parasols. Jesus. <laughs> but isn't that plants? Is that us too? Well, anyway, who cares? All right. Okay, that's one. Uh, another one that's, where, that's not so technical? Hmm? Cancer, yeah. What's over here? Heart. Heart's a concept. Heart's a name for, well, it isn't so obvious. Does it include the stuff that stretches off from it? Where do you draw the boundaries? Concepts are very difficult sometimes. Try tonight to define the concept chair so that a Martian would understand it and would identify all things that are chairs and nothing that isn't a chair. But don't stay up all night trying to do it. <laughs> we'll fail at this time, at this task. It's impossible. Um, we can talk some other time about why it's just... All right, but heart, we know what we're talking about, so we'll be okay. Kidneys, circulatory system. But look, circulatory system runs throughout all of us, right? How about the concept of, um, of uh, uh, head plus left wrist? We didn't use the word framus for the other one, so it's not useful. So somehow we're, we're choosing things that are useful for us as biologists or as doctors or whatever we might be. Okay. Um, uh, we have the concept tree, but we don't have the concept largest branch plus left side of the trunk. Now, I'm, not, I'm serious about this because some of the concepts that we have will sound to people like largest branch plus left side of the trunk, right, before they know what we're talking about. But so it's, it's not, this isn't moot. Um, we have as a concept, for instance, in Marx, what's the concept, in Marxism, for those of you who are into this kind of stuff, what's the concept that's associated with what we normally call price? Not perfectly, but anybody? What? Value, and if it's price for, for you know, buying and selling, what kind of value? Just to see where people are coming from, huh? Exchange value, okay, so some people have, so exchange value is a concept in Marxism, but what about in Marxism, if you read the book, uh, Capital or any book, do you find the color of the product to be a, pro, uh, a concept? But it's, you know, exchange value, it's a characteristic attribute of the product. The color is a characteristic attribute. One is central to the whole damn thing, the other never appears. Okay. Um, uh, how about um, height in our society? Is that a social concept that we're going to use probably in our radical theory? No. How about race? Yes. Is height a relevant concept for some purposes? Basketball. Basketball. For a lot of purposes, it's a relevant concept. So it's not, right, whether or not a concept is relevant is not some, you know, it, it depends upon your purpose. It depends upon what you're trying to do. 
Okay, let's do Marxism now. Somebody start yelling out concepts that are intrinsic to, critical to Marxism in particular. We'll do a few different frameworks and see this. Concepts relevant to Marxism? Labor. Labor. All right, wait, up a little bit. Um, what was the first one? What did you say? Class. Class war, if you want. Okay. Profit. Profit. Alienation. Alienation. Commodity fetishism. <laughs> what was that first word that we came up with when I was fiddling around? Value. Value. Anything else? Surplus. Surplus. Okay, how about people? Okay. Is there a person? <laughs> this is not insignificant. In, in, um, in if any of you have taken a course on electromagnetic theory, is person a concept that comes up in the course? No. Is person a concept that comes up in Marxism? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so I, my little list when I did this was use value, exchange value, person, alienation, exploitation, and contradiction. But there are others, right? But that's just, you know, you, all right, you have the picture in your head. Now erase that picture, switch over to anarchism. Okay? Some concepts that are central to anarchism. Yeah? Authoritarianism. Authoritarianism. Hierarchy. Hierarchy. Yeah, what? Decentralization. Decentralization. What else? Mutualism. All right. Hey, what's the focus? State. State. And by the way, what was the focus for Marxism? Well, or what's economy, right? Like, yeah, but but uh, that's all a specific one. Marxism talks about feudalism and other economies too. Economy, state. Okay. Um, I got one more under anarchism, which you just left out of Marxism too, and I had to add. People. people, yeah, it's just because, hey, you guys are all frogs, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Feminism. <laughs> Feminism. <laughs> Same idea. Concept. People. Huh? People. No. <laughs> no. See, boy, do I set you up? you got to also understand. I'm going to set you up every time. No, that's wrong. There is no people concept in feminism. There is instead gender, gender and there is this isn't that complicated, but <laughs> men and women. Back to Marxism. Is there men and women central concept in Marxism? No way, Jose. Read Capital One, Two, Three. It's not going to be a serious issue. Read them all. It's not a serious issue. There will be Marxists who deal with it, but at the underpinning of the Marxist framework, it's not a, a highlighted concept. Same thing for anarchism. But in feminism, it isn't even person, because person, right? It's men and women. Okay, so men, women, what else? Patriarchy. Patriarchy. Gender. Gender, kinship, sphere. Uh, do I have something else? Yeah, what's the name of the... We had alienation and, uh, and, uh, and exploitation we should have had in Marx. What would we have here? Domination. Well, that would have been in, in anarchy. Domination and in, and in feminism. Sexism, Sexism right? Um, nationalism. Everybody know what I mean when I'm talking about that? I'm talking about the intellectual framework or the conceptual system that you generally find in various forms at the heart of, of, of constituencies that are organized around culture, around race, or around religion, or around ethnicity. Anybody come up with some concepts there? I gave you something in that little summary. Colonialism crosses with economics, but okay, yeah. Who? Yeah, and culture, like kinship, economy, the state, uh, race, religion, ethnicity, 
racism, apartheid, right? These are things that are <coughs> from this framework. Um, and, and people again, and but now people with different with different ethnicities or races or cultural identifications, right? Um, and what do the people have that differentiates them under Marxism? Money, put more, uh, you know, adroitly or more technically or whatever word you want to use. What did you say? Something? Class. Different relations to production, to the means of production in the Marxist framework. We'll figure out what that really means later. But, um, okay, this is all well and good. Do we notice anything highly odd about this? All four of these realms are concerned with, broadly speaking, doing what? Liberation. Liberation, making life better for people. And when we enunciate the key underlying concepts, you know, day one in 101 in each of these, and we list them, what happens? They're what? Well, but, but they're all different. They're all, they're, they don't even overlap. They overlap a little bit, right? This is quite interesting. Now, what do we say about concepts? Concepts are chosen by people or by constituencies or by movements because they are what? Because they're, you try and make them true, you try and make them relevant, you try and make them unobscure, unless, of course, you happen to be trying to form a movement, well, this comes up later, in which they are obscure and only a few people have a grip on the concepts. We're doing the opposite of that, right? That really does exist. Um, um, no. Um, and you're trying to come up with concepts that are relevant to your priorities, right? to your concerns, to your aims. And suppose as a user of a radio, you need concepts about a radio. What are your concepts going to be? AM, FM, volume. AM, FM, volume, switch, how you turn it, etc. Now you're a radio engineer. And you repair radios. What are your concepts? Whatever the hell they are, right? <laughs> the framets inside, I like that word today. The, the, the this, that, and the other thing inside the radio, right? And, and, but you can see why. But they're all true. They all refer to a slice of reality, but it has to do with the purpose. So something about the purpose that's associated with Marxism, anarchism, nationalism, and feminism, wherever that purpose comes from, which we still haven't, you know, we haven't said anything about these things. But we can already deduce something about the purpose of those frameworks causes them to enunciate sets of concepts that are strikingly different. Really strikingly different, it seems to me. And that do what then? What does a concept do? What did we say right at the outset? It governs what you can say and think. It's your language. If your concept, if you have a certain list of concepts, there's certain features of reality about which you're going to talk, which you are going to hone in on, which you're going to think in terms of, which you're going to try and tr explain things in terms of, which we will focus on. And these four frameworks focus on different things, explain in terms of different things, reduce things to different things, and so on. <clears throat> and that's a problem with each of them, I think. Um, other people have a different point of view. The approach that we're going to use in this course is going to lead us to the framework that I hold dear. But if you take a different turn at some point in the course, if you think differently than me at some point in the course, the process that we're going through might lead you to a different framework. That's fine. What I'm going to stand by is the process we're going through. I'll also stand by this, what we arrive at. You know, I like that, obviously. But it, you know, you could come up with something else and believe in it, and the process is still useful. Um, 
So so far, what we what we began to what we've begun to try and discern is that you need to um, uh, uh, come up with concepts, and that they have to that they have to be useful for you. Uh, so let's take a look at those again. What what's the Marxist agenda? What's the what is it that's informing what's useful for the Marxist? Yeah. Liberation of working class. Okay, so the, the Marxist mindset, somehow there's a, there's a vague notion that's informing the whole process of creating the theory, if you will, that one is going to liberate people from something economic, and it's going to liberate an economic constituency, okay? And, and so what do you do? So you look at the tapestry of reality, and you pull out concepts that seem relevant to that. So you pull out concepts that define people in terms of their economic position. You pull out concepts that pinpoint what you think are the basic underlying economic features in terms of which you explain everything else. It's no different than doing biology. If I'm um, a, uh, uh, um, you know, concerned with heart diseases and with blood diseases, I've got circulatory system and heart and whatever other concepts I've got that are paramount for me. I'm a heart specialist, you know, a surgeon. But if I'm a brain surgeon, I've got other things that I'm honing in on. I may want to peripherally be aware of both. If I'm a better brain surgeon, I know there's a heart down there, and I know I shouldn't do something that mucks up the heart. This is quite parallel. If I'm a, if I'm a sort of a, a myopic brain surgeon, which actually might not be allowed most places because you fail too badly, that's one of the characteristics of real science. Failing, you disappear, right? But if, if, you're, if you're a myopic brain surgeon, you know only about the brain, and you, all right, I'm, I'm doing the brain, and the blood flow here is in the way of my scalpel, so I'll just turn it off, right? Because I'm serious. I'll just turn it off, because I don't understand the blood flow. All right, so you've got the corpse, right? Now, think about Marxism. The most mechanical Marxists are that bad. So are the most mechanical feminists and the most mechanical nationalists and the most mechanical anarchists. They hone in on something, like the brain surgeon honing in on nervous system, cerebellum, whatever it is, right? And they don't even, they're so focused, so prioritized, nobody here, of course, so um, narrow, right, that they're, that they're almost unaware of the existence of the other. And so they will continually do things that are equivalent to turning off the blood supply. So they'll form movements that are grotesquely sexist, right, or grotesquely racist. Or in Marxism, they'll have as a goal regarding culture, cultural homogenization, right? One culture. Think carefully about what the real goal of Marxism is for culture, Some, a question that's not often raised, right? It's socialist culture. Well, that's one culture, right? That's equivalent to turning off the heart, right? In the eyes of, say, indigenous people who see that as... Right. There's a lot of ideas that are going on. But you understand what I'm saying? So this crazy, stupid analogy of the brain surgeon and the heart surgeon isn't totally off the wall. It's not perfect, but it's not totally off the wall. You can imagine an anarchist who is simply so focused on political hierarchy and authoritarianism that they're blind to the nature of racism and sexism, or even, even certain phenomena associated with the economy, and so on and so forth around the horn. Okay, so we said the Marxist hones in on the economy, trying to deal with economically defined constituencies and liberate them, more or less attuned to the existence of the other. The really good Marxist, the really humane, the one whose eyes are really open, knows about all the others and begins to try and relate to them, but still has this prioritization. 
right? What's the anarchist focusing on? Hierarchy and authority and the political state and the political realm. And the best of them turn hierarchy into a concept that tries to address everything, right? But let me tell you, if you want to understand the sex life of teenagers, don't read anarchist literature. <laughs> and that's serious, because the sex life of teenagers matters. You know, you're much better off going to a feminist to try and understand that. Because the concepts, as hard as the anarchists tried, and as sincere as many will be, they just start with a framework that's too narrow to deal with some of the things that it's important to deal with, just like the best Marxists are saddled by the fa And in practice, it tends to devolve not to the best, but to the worst. So in practice, the Marxist organization is much more narrow than the rich Marxist thinker. And the, and the, and the more narrow, and the same thing with anarchism, and the same thing with nationalism and, and gender. Are there, are, there feminist group, are, are there feminists who are really astute about class and race and all the rest? Yes, but as you get organizations that congeal around a feminist framework, now those concepts begin to become the shared thing, and the definition is more and more narrow. And the awareness and the attention to, and the priority given to, in, in fact, rather than rhetoric, the other phenomena tends to diminish dramatically. Right? Is this ring true to people? So it's all, it seems to me, you, you can think of it two ways. You can think of it as being due to the priorities of the people, right? Or you can think of it as being due to the concepts. Now, some people will, will, will much prefer to think of it as being the priorities of the people, but I don't, and I think it's wrong. Because I think the priorities of most people in most of these areas, not all, but most, really are broad and humane. Create a better world, right? But they are narrowed by their attachment to concepts. Sometimes ideas and concepts can be very overpowering, right? They can take, you've all seen probably, you know, a wonderful person with good values and everything else who gets caught up in some mindset, and all of a sudden they just are weird, right? Because they, they now see everything in such a narrow and constrained and oftentimes sectarian fashion, right? It isn't the case that everybody who's in some sect group who mumbles, you know, who, who reduces everything to, you know, five concepts or whatever and can't see any of the richness of life is really a diminished more person. They might very well go home and, and, and listen to great music and feel all the great sentiments that everybody else feels, right? But when they get into that political mode, the concepts become like a straight check. Well, it behooves us to have concepts that communicate and that become concepts that don't narrow us in such a way that we miss something that's really important, right? These are some of the criteria for a really good theory. Um, what does it mean to say that the theory that we're trying to develop needs to be, needs to be what was the word back there, um, unambiguous? What does that mean? Um, it has more of a definite uh, definition that was It has more of a clear definition that isn't so broad that when one person uses it, it describes something radically different. Than okay, so one thing is clarity. What's another big problem that you can have with a theory? Well, what's the problem with postmodernism insofar as that's a theory on this score? Forget that it's vacuous. What's another problem with it? Nobody knows what it means. And why does nobody know what it means? <laughs> okay, but one step back. That, 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 you've gone all the way to the foundation, the explanation. I just mean, more approximately, why don't people know what it means? I'm reading it. Why don't I know what it means? 
It's just too hard. There's something about it, or too obscure, or too technical, or too whatever. Now, sometimes that's not so bad. What's a theory which is hard to understand, which if you were to pick it up and try to read it in the next two hours, or five hours, or even five days, forget it. Generative grammar. Quantum mechanics. Special reality. Quantum mechanics. Let's do quantum mechanics. Um, uh, linguistics, I could explain to you all so you understood it in and out. The basics of it. The heart of it. Quantum mechanics is very difficult. I could explain that and, and you know, because nobody really understands it. <laughs> and, and if you tried to read it, nobody does. And if you tried to read it as a, as, a, as a theory, it would be really hard. Now, is that a bad characteristic of quantum mechanics? That, that the theory, especially the theory, if you're going to really use it, as compared to have a vague understanding of it, and the same holds for linguistics then, if you're going to really use it to try and advance our understanding, or to try and do what? What do theories do? Explain, predict, and guide. So if you were going to try to use these theories to explain, predict, or guide, you'd have to spend a year or two, right? Um, because they're highly technical and they're very difficult, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, is that a bad attribute of those theories? Not if what they're explaining is highly difficult and technical. Hmm? Not if what they're explaining is highly technical and difficult. And, and, you know, is it such a bad thing that somebody has to spend a year becoming a quantum physicist or a linguistic? No. And then you have to devote yourself to it, and, you know, no more than it's a bad thing that you have to do that to learn how to play the violin. Right? Okay, now we're creating radical theory. So we create radical theory one, two, and three, and in order to be able to, to explain predict or have this guide what you do or assess how it guides what somebody else does, you have to go to the library and read it for a year. Is that a good or a bad thing? Yeah, Why is it bad? Because you should be able to apply it to your real life pretty quickly. Why? To make difference. Well, what, but why? What's, what's going to be the out, what will be the result? Let me put it, you're right. What will be the result if it requires that you have to go to the library and pour over it. It's like quantum mechanics, and you have to work on it for a year to become competent enough in it to get anything out of it and to use it. There what? You're going to be alone. Well, you won't be alone. How many people will be doing that? And who will it be? It'll be a theory that that you can only become, you can only own, right? You can only make your own and do something with. If you have a lot of free time, or you have a lot of space, and, and a lot of prior training probably, and various things, to, to do it. And so what will it, who will hold it? Will the average working person have this theory? Why not? Is it because they're stupid? No. Is it, is, huh? Is it because they don't want to change the world? It's, in, it's impossible. They don't have the time. They don't even have the circumstances. They don't have the place to do it. They don't have the time to do it. And to a degree, they don't have the, the confidence and the prior background also as a factor because of the experience and the socialization they've had. Okay, so what's the big deal? Who cares? Why does this matter? It can't, it can't be prescribed. Well, it's different for everyone. Well, I'm not sure. Again, it would have to be prescribed. Is really the case. But it's not going to go across the board for each person. Yeah, but how, how would we have a movement that is guided by and holds this theory, this thing that we just created that has these attributes of being difficult and requiring a year? How is that going to be the case? Only by this group of people. Doing what? Telling people what to do. Basically. See, we haven't, it's taken 15 minutes, but we're far, if you think about it. This criteria is employed by who? Nobody. 
virtually nobody self-consciously says what we've just said. I've never found it in print except in me, and and I don't know why that is. But this should be like the first criteria for now. Maybe I'm crazy. That's very often. You know. That could be the reason, but I can only tell you. And I, it seems to me that if you think about this from this direction that we're taking, you very quickly realize that a theory has to not only be true in the sense of being valid and referring and have concepts of that character, and they not only have to be relevant to what you're trying to do, which we still have to cover a lot of ground on, right? But they have to be accessible, or else you're going to have a movement that's run by a small constituency that has the time and the freedom and probably the prior background and confidence to master the thing that has been couched in such a way that it is only accessible to them. And then they're going to run the show. So if you spend time developing that kind of theory, either because you're confused or because you self-consciously or implicitly or explicitly want it to be the case, you are interested in developing a movement that's led by a few. Uh, that takes us a long ways. The masses, right? It, it, it obliterates a lot of what people put forward as being um, seriously concerned about changing the world in a libertarian way that's meant to help everybody. At least if you have the, the views that I do, right? Um, that doesn't mean you can't go read some of that stuff and get something out of it, which might help you to create something that's accessible, right? Maybe you can, but it does mean that that stuff that's inaccessible is in and of itself not what we're looking for. Yeah? You, uh, I, no, I, one second, yeah? I was just saying, uh, <clears throat> otherwise people don't buy into it. It's more, uh, we just do, we don't think. And then there's also danger of whoever the selective whims of the elite are to sway. Well, it's more than a danger. It's totally predictable just so we, we deal with this quickly. What if there is a set of people who have a relative monopoly? And that's what it is, right? It's like a relative monopoly on the conceptual framework, the theory that we, do, you, we use for what? We use to come up with our goals. We use to come up with our strategy. We use to understand the world. We use to talk. If there's a relatively small group that has a monopoly on that, how are they going to see themselves? Better than the other. Yeah, because what's the other explanation for how they're, why they're where they are? One explanation is that they're smarter, they work harder, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's an explanation which, if they personally hold that explanation and they look at the mirror, what do they feel? They feel okay, right? What's the other explanation? Yeah, but they're lazy, but they're not willing to. Yeah, but what, what about, okay, so, what? They've seized the palace. They've seen, well, they've, they've, in a sense, stolen it because they've organized the thoughts in such a way that it's inaccessible. But there's more than one way to steal things, right? So they've monopolized it by a, by a tactic, in essence, which has made it inaccessible to everybody else. Now that, when you look at the mirror, and you say, in the mirror and you say to yourself, well, the reason I hold this position is because I've excluded it. Think of doctors and nurses, right? This will come up a lot when we do economics. This is, uh, this is one of the... You can think, think to yourself later tonight, okay, if these intellectual frameworks don't see the world the way I, he's explaining right now, whether it's right or wrong, why don't they? Why doesn't Marxism quickly come to this same thing? There, I think it, it's, a, it's got a clear explanation. I think it's got a pretty good explanation for gender and nationalism. I don't know why. Anarchists do sort of come close to this view. All right. Um, I had a quick question. Okay. Uh, for people to reap the benefit of quantum mechanics, they don't need to understand it. I mean, microwaves is, a microwave oven is 
Okay. Just like you don't need to understand the innards of the radio to turn it on. Right. Same thing. So, uh, what is it about uh, liberation sure, movements that make people the necessary aspect of it? I mean, you mean it makes them have to hold it. Ha yeah. yeah. Have to understand it. Well, what is it? Now, what is, what is, this is why I asked the question. I said, is there anything bad about the fact that quantum physics requires a year? And the answer was no. Is there anything bad about the fact that linguistics requires a year? No, not particularly. It's, it's, it's like asking, is there anything bad about the fact that it takes a year to learn how to play the violin? It would be nicer if you could do it quickly, but it takes that. It's the way the cookie crumbles. It doesn't have any big ramifications that are horrible. Now, I'm saying it has big ramifications that are horrible if the social theory that guides people who are trying to change the world and make it better requires that you go to school, go off to the library, struggle with it, you know, go through the learning a new language and it takes a year or two or whatever before you can do anything with it. I'm saying that has horrible ramifications. And the horrible ramifications that it has is that it means that only a relative few people who have the conditions and the circumstances that give them the freedom to do it will do it. And then once that's the case, you have a relative few people who are in the position to know what's going on and a relative lot of others who have to take their word for it. And what's going to happen is that the will of the relative few, which is also going to be distorted by the position that they hold and by the way they see themselves, is going to be what guides the movement rather than being really participatory and democratic. So there's two answers to why it's a problem. One is if you believe in participation and democracy and, and involvement as a principle, we'll talk about this as we go along, um, then it's bad just because it abrogates it. The second reason it's bad is because there's such a high probability, we'll see it's like 100%, there's such a high probability that this relatively small group, which is very rare, in the that this relatively small group will have interests different from everybody else's. And so the result of what you'll get, instead of what most people thought they were fighting for in, the, say, the Russian Revolution, right, will be something very different, manifesting the interests of the relatively small group rather than everybody. Is it necessarily true because just the nature of people? people? Yeah, and that's exactly the way to think about this. It, it's, it's, and, and so we'd have to think. It's, it's, you know, the old thing of, you know, authority corrupts absolute, what is it? Absolute authority corrupts absolutely. Power, yeah, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, uh, cool. So that's an observation, <laughs> right? And you may or may not feel that it's true, but it isn't an explanation. So then you'd have to come up with an explanation for why that observation is true, which nobody, you know, you rarely hear anybody try to do. You just sort of take it as, a, as an observation about it. You see, that's the difference. There's nothing wrong with observations about the world. Most of what we know are like that. Most of what we know about human interrelations, right, is not science. You don't know, most of what you know is, is not a function of science. It's a function of experience. It's a function of just imbibed knowledge. It's a function of habit and, and of repetition. But it hasn't been tested with evidence and, and, and so on. It's, you know, most of the debates about science and non-science are just, are silly. Um, you know, the, the phrase that scientists think that you can understand everything in the world with science. Well, there isn't a scientist on the planet who thinks any such thing. Um, Maybe I'm going off a little bit on the side here, but you know, you don't understand that the grass is green through science. You don't have the experience of what it means to be in love or to care about kids or to see a sunrise through science. It's just experience. Most of what we know is not science. So that's the way that authority, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And we just know it from our experience. And it, it became a, a phrase. But if we tried to understand it, what would the understanding be? The understanding would be something interesting. that. If people have a disproportionate amount of power, 
why does it corrupt them? Because that's what it's saying, right? It's saying if you get a disproportionate amount of power, you become corrupted. Why should it corrupt you that you have a disproportionate amount of power? Because you become more and more detached from the concerns and needs of you know, of others. Yeah. Well, and and but why does that happen? Right. Okay. Yeah. Even even if it's not a corruption, I mean, the most enlightened monarchy in the world is still a monarchy. Okay, but that's the, I said there were two issues. One is you believe in it because you want it for everybody. You want right, and that's true, and that's enough. Right, that's enough reason for me anyway. Right. So in other words, I don't want, I don't want the most humane God, you know, to come down. You know, I don't believe in God, but God to come down and to be, be the dictator and give us all what's in our best interest. Right, because I believe in participation and the self-management. Because that's one reason. Right, but but the second reason is because it won't happen. Because if if the person who has those characteristics, fills that slot, they will become a schmuck instead of... But even if they don't become a schmuck... But they will. So the question is, why will they? Okay. Even if they don't, it's bad. No, even if they don't, their, their opinion becomes more valuable than anyone else. Why won't their opinion be exactly what I need? Because they're the ones who are... Who are they're the only ones who are allowed to... But why won't they... Some do better than others. Fidel Castro does a damn sight better than any other dictator has ever done at representing the true interests and needs of the population of Cuba. Almost unbelievably so, right? I mean, the scale to which he does that is compared to just anybody else. He's almost the exception, that, you know, not quite, you know. But, so, but, but the point is, is why is there this powerful tendency? Well, you don't know, I guess. There's two reasons why somebody doesn't know this. One is because they never, they never, um, uh, they never had any power. So, right? That's probably for most of you. And the other reason is because you had the power and you're already schnook. Um, and you deny it. So that most people don't know. So, but the answer is because of the way you look at yourself in the mirror, I think. You know, things are not, there's another reason why you don't need those heavy, abstruse books. Because most things have simple, clear, comprehensible explanations. When you think about them a little bit, power corrupts because we because human beings aren't bad, not because they are bad. It's because we tend to need a self-explanation, which is which is which is um, which is positive. And so, if I've got a lot of power and I need a self-explanation which is positive, I, I can't say to myself, the reason I have a lot of power is because I monopolize it, because I get it by virtue of somebody else stealing it for me, because any of those things, I have to attribute to myself some positive attribute, and I do smarter. Now, if I'm smarter and I'm and I work harder, and that's why I have more power, it probably also means I shouldn't be wasting my time doing other things. I should only do this this wonderful thing that I can I alone can do. So all of a sudden, I'm freed from all onerous labor, right? And then the next day, and pretty soon, the difference in my life situation from everybody else's is huge, and my self perception is hugely different, and my interests are different, and those of the people who I relate to. I think that's the dynamic, and, and we'll understand it better when we talk about the economy. But in any case, uh, <coughs> suppose we start over. We're not Marxists, we're not feminists, we're not nationalists, we're not um, anarchists. We're just starting over. What do we want in our framework? Let's start with some basic concepts. What kind of basic concepts do we want to, to orient us, to highlight what we care about, what we think is important? Try the most basic rather than the people. So we want people, and what attributes do we want? Do we want just the concept people? Life, maybe. Huh? What did somebody say? Life, maybe. What, maybe? Life. Ah, 
Um, yeah, we might want that, but we're not going to do that just yet. Uh, people, well, some people, all right, so here's where people, right at the start, could, could come up with serious differences, right? Somebody could say, let's start with life. Right? Somebody else says, let's start with people. Very different. Could be very different what you come up with. We're going to start with people. Um, uh, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not we come up with something that is onerous or odious to the person who wanted to start with life, start over again. Okay, people. Um, but what else? Just people? Marxism includes just people. That means, in other words, that they don't what? They don't differentiate along lines of, of gender or of race or of cultural identification. They do generate along lines of class because they go a little further. In other words, they start with people and then they go further and they come up with class, classes of people, right? Um, all right, so we want people. <clears throat> we, we want... Um, People and what about people? Did, did we in the other realms we there were no further concepts associated with people? Is there anything in particular that we care about associated with people? Okay, needs. Power. Power. That'll be a broader yeah. Capacities. Consciousness. They're, this is important. If you think about economics, if you remember any economics course that you took, you'll have people going in and out, and you'll have and labor, but you won't have um, uh, these attributes of people, which actually are affected by the economy. And that's a very good example. If you think about it, a very good example of concepts not existing and attention not being given. So the bottom line in any factory doesn't include whether or not a person still has their arm to be something extreme, right? And you won't find, and there's no accounting of arms get lost in factories, right? You won't find that. Much less that they have their energy, they have their exuberance, they have um, knowledge, they have confidence, they have empowerment. Those, that's not on the bottom line. No economist tracks those things, right? No economist says the workplace reduces or increases people's self-esteem. Right? Now, actually, no economist says that because economists are trying to rationalize the economy. Does the capitalists pay attention to such things? <coughs> yeah. Very much. And what do they want to do to people's self-esteem? Yeah, so to reduce it in order to disempower people. So it's very important. You can't have that in the theory. If you, if you taught in Economics 101 that the capitalist workplace is designed to reduce people's self-esteem and disempower people, you know, all of a sudden students would wonder, what the hell, so why do we have this system? Right? So you don't teach that. You teach a very different thing that has nothing to do with reality. All right. Um, all right, so we want <coughs> people, yeah. Um, we want what, what focus, what, what, like Marxism focuses on the economy. What do we want to focus on? Society. Well, but what, what, what aspect of society, what is, it, what is the economy? What does that mean? Type of human interaction. Okay, it's a part of society which is associated with certain functions, let's say, or certain types of interaction, and and Marxism highlights that, right? So what do we want to highlight, if anything? Do we want to highlight the economy? No. I didn't say that we want to exclusively highlight the economy. I said, do we want to highlight the economy? Okay. So what else do we want to highlight? Yeah. Yeah, we want to highlight whatever it is that generates race. So we want to highlight the sphere of social life which 
is somehow implicit in or embodied in or creates or generates dynamics of race. We want to highlight another sphere of life. Environment. Gender. What, what do we call the sphere of life that's associated with gender? Anybody? What? The kinship. You know, the realm of that has to do with socialization, that has to do with uh, nurturance, that has to do with the next generation. The whole kinship sphere, and what's gender? What in the economic realm? What's the what's the concept that's parallel to gender? Class. Class, because gender is a concept that's an overarching concept for how constituencies exist, right? For how the people are divided by kinship into constituencies. What are the constituencies that you're divided into in the kinship sphere? Male and female. Ah, so first answer was male and female or man and woman, not man and woman biologically, but man and woman socially. And then the second answer was what? Mother, father. Mother, father, daughter. Now what does mother, father, daughter approximate to or, or parallel to over in the economy? Yeah, yeah, roles. Particular, who said that? Yeah, particular roles that people fill, right? Particular slots. You, you fill the slot, mother, father, daughter. Whatever it is, right? You fill the slot over here, the particular job slots. And what happens? It demarcates you over here into the economy, into classes, and over here into genders. Okay. And if we if we did the, uh, what's the sphere? What, do we want to be concerned about any other sphere? Somebody said uh, race, so culture or kinship or community. Okay. I mean, or community. You might give it some other name. I'm going to call it the community sphere. You know, which label you pick, as long as we know what we're talking about, doesn't matter. So it's easier for me since I have to talk a lot. So community sphere, what what in there is comparable to uh, 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 these these slots? Nationality. Go ahead. Sexuality also be in there too? No. Um, that I think is in the kinship sphere, but somebody, oh, now let's see, what does it mean to say is something in there or not? See, we, we are all powerful. We're creating a theory. What she said was, you said nationality, race, and then you said would sexuality be in there? Well, it depends how you define these things. If we define community sphere to be what? The sphere of social life in which people are, are generating a cultural identification. Right? We're going to do more as we go along. It seems muddy. At first it's obvious, race, nationality, ethnicity, etc. And then you sort of think to yourself, well, don't people who have um, sexual orientation as a key element of their identification use that and have that become a cultural factor? The answer, yes. So aren't they in there? And yet, aren't they in the kinship sphere? Or aren't they, right? It doesn't that But think a minute about class. Does class affect your culture? Yeah, very much so. Does race affect your economic situation? Very much so. So it isn't, the, and of course, this is part of the, we're getting slowly toward the reason why all the other theories suck. Because, in fact, what they're doing is they're honing in on a particular aspect, and they're seeing that, and they're seeing how that manifests outward. See, so what the, what the good, what the crummy Marxist does, the one who, you know, cuts off the, the aorta and you die while they're doing your brain operation, they don't see, they don't see gender at all. What does the next best Marxist do? They, they see the economy and they see it permeating out there and they see it permeating over into the lives of men and women as men and women, right? 
in the lives of gay and straight as gay and straight, and they understand that. What do they miss? Yeah, and can anybody give me an example of how it goes the other way? See, we haven't done anything difficult, and we're already ahead of, of there's nothing, I'm not, that's not arrogant, it's true. We're ahead of where most people who think about this stuff think about this stuff. What goes the other way that they miss? Ah, now, do they miss that? No. No, and, and so, so, they, they tend to see, why do they see gender as class? You're on the right track, whoever said that. Why do they see gender as class? Well, because class is the concept. It's, it's like the big concept that's banging around in their head. And so they, they understand things in terms of class. So they see gender in an, in an analogy to class. This is why an anarchist thinks, everybody thinks they understand everything. So the anarchists think they understand everything. The Marxists think they understand everything. The nationalists think they understand everything. The, the feminists think they understand everything. And they do understand a good part if they're good. But they understand it with a particular angle. Right? And, and the anarchists in particular get irritated as shit at me. Right? Because they say, well, it's hierarchy and hierarchy is every place and we understand everything. But let me tell you that the anarchist does not understand sex roles and the hierarchies associated with sex and say the sex life of teenagers or et cetera, et cetera, the way feminists do. They don't get the, they, what they get, what they see is they see the part that's like the thing they really understand well. So the, so the Marxists see the part that's really like, right, so they see income differentials. What don't they see happening in the workplace? This is a hard question. It gets way ahead of where we are, but nonetheless. Like sexual harassment and discrimination. Okay, and, and they may see that, but what they don't see is most people in here are not going to have seen either, most likely. But somebody may come up with it. Later, try and look at, try and, a, a radical feminist, a radical Marxist is one who's really myopic, right, and looks at the world through the concepts. Try and look at factories later, right, as a radical feminist. Dispense with any economic concepts and look at it just using gender concepts, right, just using gender concepts. What are gender concepts? Mother, father, uncle, aunt, daughter the relationships that exist among these constituencies. Try and look at the workplace using those concepts and see if you can see it in a way differently than you've seen it before. And see things in it that go on in it that are different. And you'll get to this. We'll do this later. Um, okay, so, so what do we want? It, it seems that so far we want to have a framework or an intellectual framework that starts with people. Um, what time do we end? Uh, quarter after. Quarter after nine? Yeah, we're just past that question. Okay, good. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, we have 35 minutes. Yeah, it's what time we end. Yeah, 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 I got it. Um, <laughs> okay, so we want... <laughs> so, let me go back to the beginning. Those are the hard questions. I, I told you. I, the hard, natural selection, that was a hard question. This is a hard question. All right. But we got them. Okay, so, so we got people. Now, um, what, what other than people do we want? What's the, what's the big thing that we want other than that isn't people? Nature? Environment. Now, see, here we go again. Just like somebody said life, environment. Nope, I'm going to wipe that out. We're just not going to do that for a while. Right? We're going to make believe we haven't been affected by the, those movements, and we just are dense. Right? <laughs> and you can start over again later and pay attention to those things and see whether or not you get something different. Okay? Well, it'll come up later. We'll add it later. But we're not going to add it right now at the very bottom. At the very bottom of, the, of our new approach, we're going to have people and we're going to have institutions. Um, 
Uh, okay, now somebody else, what is an institution? Everybody in here has used that word a million times, right? <laughs> what is it? It's a social construct. Everything is a social, we, what we just, it's a concept, right? That's the first thing. It's a concept, so it labels something out there in the world, and as a concept, it's a word that we came up with. That's true. Now, what is it out there in the world? A system of social organization. Okay, somebody? A group of people? One new people, a group of people? Yeah. With a purpose. Okay, but, huh? They have a purpose. A group of people with a purpose? What's the heart of an institution? What may, is the heart of, of General Motors the building? It's been going on for years. Is it, is, all right. Is the heart of General Motors its longevity? The its purpose. Is the heart of General Motors, is what makes General Motors an institution a purpose? If it was what makes General Motors a purpose, suppose General Motors, what do you want to say the purpose is? Who said that? Uh, make, profit. make money, through, make profit through. Okay, so suppose this is um, Lee Iacocca, and he wants to make profit. Is he an institution? No. No, but... but uh, the answer's no. You got it. All right. All right. So, so he got the answer's no and no, so it could be part of it, but it isn't all of it. Right? So we want to try and... We, we use... This is just like chair. This is just like staying up tonight trying to find chair. We use the word. We have something in mind, but it's not so easy to pinpoint what it is. And if we're going to build a theory, we've got to sort of pinpoint it. Um, so, more. Institution. Set of rules. Rules for what? Um, for behaving or following okay, or, or achieving a goal, perhaps. All right. So, so somehow it's, it's people. It isn't just one person, right? It's people and a set of rules. Now, what do you find in, 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 in every institution? Those set of rules sort of create something. Huh? There's a most culture, there's a mission, yeah. But, you know, a lot of these things you could say about, about a race, say. Okay, but you could say that about it, right? There, there are certain... Well, all right, let's do general... Let's do Microsoft. All right, it's not the building, right? It's not the size. It's not the longevity. Is it the people who are in there that make it an institution? Those specific people. No. No. no, no, it's not those specific people. We take those people out, it's still an institution. We put somebody else. So that's not it. So, structure. What, 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 let's try and get another concept that, that hones in on the structure. Function? Not the function of the whole thing, right? We just said that. But, but, making structure. What, if you, if you're going to be a part of General Motors, what do you have to do? I mean, of Microsoft. Suppose one of you wants to become a part of, of Microsoft. What do you do? You apply. And what do you apply for? A job. And But it, suppose it was the church. What would you apply for? <laughs> suppose, <laughs> suppose you want to become a part of a, is a family an institution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, suppose you want to be a part of a family. What do you have to do? A set of what? And what do you have to do? You will apply for a particular role. You fill one of the slots, one of the roles. I think that's a useful definition. And notice, I am banging on you here. You can do it differently. There is no answer to these questions, right? It's a slice of reality. We're coming up with concepts. I just think, could be wrong, I just think that the concept of people understood as entities not that work and sleep, 
Marxism. Not that, you know, um, um, have kids and sleep. The oddest feminist. Not that, you know, but, 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 but that have a rich characteristics, et cetera, et cetera. Right? It's good concepts that we need. I happen to think, just, I just think in terms of, and I think also in terms of a lot of about what people talk about. What do people, what, are, what does the system mean? You know, in natural public parlance, when, when people talk about the system, what do they mean? Power structures? They, they mean the institutions. They mean, they're, they're referring to some sort of entity, not the people. They're referring to some sort of, huh? The interplay of the yeah, they're referring to the array of institutions, not the people. And, that, and that's right. We want something, right? We want a word that refers to that. And those institutions we want to have some conception of. And what, what's similar about institutions is that they all have roles. And what defines an institution is the particular roles that it has. And the particular role slots that it, it exist within it which you fill. Or don't fill. If you don't fill them, you're not part of the institution. You don't get its benefits. You don't suffer its ills. If you do fill them, you get the benefits, you suffer the ills, right? Okay. Um, so we have institutions, and we have roles, and now we can, we can think in terms of, of, of some word that, that embodies all the institutions, right? And, and I'm going to use the word boundary. Somebody else might use the word system. Somebody else might make up a word, right? Use any word you want. I'm just going to use the word boundary of institutions and center of human beings with their human characteristics, okay? Has anybody got a feeling already that this is parallel to something in some other intellectual framework? Huh? Economics what? Oh. Well, what, 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 what two concepts in Marxism? Yeah, and what's the base in Marxism? And what's the superstructure? Right, so basically what you're doing is you're, you're, that's right, you're carving up, right, and you're saying, well, I got the whole thing, I'm going to start carving some lines, right? And the Marxists go, everything else, economy. And I go, institutions, people. We're not done, right? But it's a different start. Okay, but now I've got to do something that, that is going to be like what the Marxist is doing to, to hone in and to understand that there are different parts of society. There are different elements and different components and different features. So we want to add something to our understanding that there are institutions and that there are people. And that is what? What are those focuses again? Did we want to highlight the economy? Yeah. And did we want to highlight kinship? And did we want to highlight community or culture? And what's the other thing? Gender. Political genders and kinship. Political, Political relations and the, and authority in the state. Okay. So now we've got a picture that's emerging, and we we see we've got people, we've got institutions, and now we want to make some more slices, right? Um, but these slices are hard to make. We'll see. But nonetheless, we want to slice. Because we want an economy, which is concerned with what? Equality. No, no, no. Everything we hope is going to be concerned with economy. But what, is it, what distinguishes economy from kinship? What is it that makes something an economy? What's it, what's it concerned with? Huh? An economy that produces a substantial number of goods for people. So, so the economy produce, is involved with production, consumption, and allocation. Okay? That's the, the particular defining 
attributes, that's the thing that distinguishes things as being part of the economy, right? It's being involved with production consumption and allocation. What is it that distinguishes things as being part of the kinship sphere? Interpersonal relationships, nurturing oh. generational relationships. Yeah. yeah. I think the kinship sphere, you know, we're not going to do any of these things perfectly, but what we have in mind is nurturance, socialization, reproduction, right? The stuff that's associated with there being new generations, right, is, is critical to that. And all the relations that have to do with that or stem off from that and so on. Kinship sphere. Somebody else could define it differently, but for now, let's do that. Community. Communication. Could do it that way. Um, I sort of do it as, as cultural self-identity. It's hard to do these things, just like it's hard to do a chair, but we know what we mean, right? And the state, that has to do with laws, the execution of laws, adjudication, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we've got these four spheres. So now what we have is we have an institutional boundary, but within the institutional boundary, we can see that we can look at it in terms of these four spheres of social life, right? So somebody tell me something, uh, name something that's, uh, and, and why these four? Because they're relevant to what? So, okay, but, but why? That's right. In other words, we start with people, right? And we look at people's attributes, and we discover that because of what we are, and we could be different, people might be single-sexed, right, and, and, not, and not reproduce in anywhere near the way we do. That would be different. It could be that people have no material needs for some reason, or our material needs are solely for, you know, sunlight and, and air, right? The economy is very different. It's because of what people are and what needs we have that we can predict that in any society, at any time, in all of history, those are broad phrases, right? Any society, any time, in all of history, if we look at the society, we can be pretty damn sure we will find a human center, people, an institutional boundary, and these four spheres of social life. Why? Because when people interact together to meet their needs and to fulfill their capacities, they will inevitably have to deal with the functions, production, consumption, allocation, kinship functions, right, cultural ones, and political ones. And, they will, and these things can't be dealt with, at least not rationally and sensibly and not remotely effectively, individual by individual in an isolated way, but only by creating institutions. So we can know in advance that societies will have these things, and that's why we have the concepts to address them. Now, we can know that societies will have some other things, too. Why do we care about these things? Well, we have an intuition, even at this early stage in our developing theory, that these four focuses are going to be very important to us in terms of what is it that we care about? Do we care about just understanding the world? Changing, changing it, and changing it from the point of view of bettering a lot of the worst off. Right? And we have an intuition that this is going to be important. These four spheres are going to be important to us. Why do we have that intuition? Does anybody, else, does anybody not have that? You know, why would you have the intuition at the outset? Huh? If you, if you said any time now, because they affect people, and much more. See, it isn't just that they affect people. That again, there's a difference between understanding the world. Affect people is enough. Right? 
for understanding the world. But what about for changing the world? The critical dimension is that these are the these are the spheres that somehow seem to radiate and to generate what movements of change, right? These are the spheres, and we'll see why that is. But in any case, okay. So what are those things that we named at the we? I asked you about Marxism and feminism and and anarchism and nationalism at the outset. What are those things? And and but where do they come from? Why do they exist? They group those four areas of what we might call boundaries of society in a certain way of understanding how it's organized. So they so so why why does a social theory arise? Well, it's going to be because there's some constituency, right? Why does neoclassical economics arise? To use something that's not leftist. Why does that arise? Because there's a constituency that benefits from or needs that thing to carry out what it wants to carry out, right? Same as the, right? It might be curiosity, but it's usually there's some utility also. Why do these four particular theories of social change and approaches to understanding societies in history and to acting on society in history arise? Well, because these four spheres of life exist, and these four spheres of life are organized hierarchically, we'll discover, and because there are constituencies in them who suffer, and those constituencies have an interest in change, and they percolate up a way of viewing the world to try and win the change. And what do we get? Feminism, nationalism, Marxism, and anarchism. Is this clear? Am I often never never land, or is this getting all right? Um, not hard, but it's interesting. You know, so why do these exist? Well, they exist for that reason. Why don't a lot of other ones exist? Well, it's going to turn out a lot of other ones don't exist because there aren't a lot of other features of society that divide it up into constituencies that are hierarchically organized where there's a powerful one that's in a position to generate a worldview at the bottom. See what I'm saying? What about different instances of each sphere? We have economies, kinship, community, and culture. I mean, community and polity. Let's take economy before we even begin to get too much into it. But what are different kinds of economies? Feudal. Feudal economy. Market. Like capitalist. Capitalist economy. What? Socialism. Meaning? Okay. The the economies that existed in Russia, China, Yugoslavia, etc. Socialist. What? That's a that's a name for a particular set of policies enacted under capitalism. It's not a name for a whole economy. See the difference? Well, I mean, some people argue that it's not really different. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they are. So, but it, it's a set of policies associated. There's really nothing even new about it. But it's a set of policies that's associated with a particular kind of economy. Uh, pursued very aggressively on an international scale. We don't have to, you know. But, but the point is, there are different kinds of economy. What about um, polities? Are there different kinds of polities? Political spheres? Monarchies. Monarchies, democracies? Oligarchies. Oligarchies, whatever the, yeah. Who? Theocracy. What's that? So you can have an interesting situation where, I don't know whether there's ever been that, but, it, but you can have an interesting situation where something that emerges from one realm actually spreads into two, right? That's what you're suggesting, that, there's a, that something in the cultural realm, the community realm, a church, a religion, dominates over in the polity. 
Can anybody give an example of that <coughs> in, in a different realm? Another that, yeah? Uh, economic dominating over politics. Over what? Politics. And what's an example? Um, uh, of a country? Uh, Russia. Whoa. Are you the high school student? Yes, yeah. Uh, right. So Stalinism, Stalinism, I think, you know, if I was in a group of people who had spent 30 years going through those books, you know, the obscure ones, and I asked that question, I'd never get a fucking answer. I mean, I know you're not going to believe this stuff, but it's, that's why I'm a little surprised. You know, I'd never, it wouldn't, I'd have to work forever to get the end, and it wouldn't happen anyway. That's exactly what, in the very loosest sense, Stalinism is. Stalinism is that, that this political, this economic movement, this movement about the economy won in the Soviet Union, but there was no political infrastructure available to do a polity that was separate. And so the economic institution served both for the economy and for the state. Right? Just like what you're describing as theocracy, where a religious institution served as religion and as the state. Yeah? So that can happen. Okay. Uh, kinship, can we come up with different different kinship things? This is not so easy. Mm -hmm. Are there probably different kinship things? Oh, yeah, I mean, like, probably are. Even existing, probably like native cultures have different kinship structures and where he's dealing with. So it's, so it's not obvious. Nobody, maybe somebody in here is well versed. Maybe somebody isn't well versed. Whatever. The 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 the, the theories that come out of these realms, by the way, have different levels of development. Marxism is highly developed. It has serious problems, I think, but it's highly developed. So there's more answers that come from Marxism, more right ones and more wrong ones, um, than from the other areas. Um, uh, Okay, so what about um, uh, the, the community sphere? Names for some things that exist. A system, apartheid. Yeah, apartheid is in the community sphere. That's a that's a, a system of organization in the community sphere. Does it affect others? Yeah. Very much, right? See, that's one of the things about this that you have to not become. We can become like the mechanical thinker, right, and have very narrow definitions and all of a sudden try to make everything very narrowly. But we have to come up with some kind of a more rich understanding. Now let's do, um, all right, what are some other names for in the community sphere? Something in the U.S. rather than South Africa? Segregation. Segregation. Jim Crow was a name for, right? Slavery, partly economic, very much community. Right? In my way of viewing the world, anyway. Now, in, the, in somebody's way of viewing the world who has almost exclusively economic concepts, it's going to be an economic phenomenon. Right? But, okay, what's an economic institution? A bank. bank. All right, a bank. Uh, give me another one. Corporation. Corporation. Business school. What? A business school. Oh, that's interesting. A business school, a bank, a corporation, government. one more big one. Government. Government. Ah, so why is government an economic institution? Because it provides economic stability. <laughs> what What did we say characterizes the economy? Right. So any institution that involves production, consumption, and allocation of of goods or services. Of, of, of material or immaterial things is part of the economy. Somebody named something that isn't part of the economy. Nature. That's not an institution. 
I'm going to name an institution, I should have said. Name an institution that isn't part of the economy. All right, let's go over the kinship sphere. What are some institutions in the kinship sphere? Marriage. Family, marriage. Uh, what else? So concerned with what? What's the kinship sphere's concern? What's the function? Socialization of the next generation. School, public schools. I'd put them certainly as a kinship institution. Okay, now let's ask the same question we asked before. <clears throat> What's an institution that isn't in the kinship sphere? Family. No, family is, right? What, that isn't in the kinship sphere? Government. Government. Church. Church. Somebody want to contest? Yeah. Okay, but let's take let's just take Microsoft again as an example. Is Microsoft in the kinship sphere? Absolutely. Why and why not? First, why not? Why? It's certainly not concerned primarily with socialization or nurturance or preparation of the next generation or any such thing. That's true. But why is it also in the kinship sphere? Because it's economically driven to to become sort of entrenched in the education of the next generation. But suppose it wasn't. Suppose it paid no attention to the public school system. Microsoft's a bad example. Let's take General Motors. Your mom and your dad might work there. But that's just, it has effects on it. But why is it literally in it? All the engineers and CEOs are men and all the secretaries are women. Because inside the system, what occurs? which is a kinship dynamic, socialization occurs. Not just Pedro, but it's, before we even look at that, right, there's an element of socialization inside a corporation. People are being socialized, and their, their kinship attributes are being affected. Why is the family an economic institution? Because it involves consumption, also perhaps production, and allocate, right? So it involves, so it's part of the economy, but, it, but do we want to think of it as primarily an economic institution? If we were, what would we do that? If we were Marxist, we might do it, right? And in fact, if we were consistent, we probably would. But it, we might be embarrassed and not. But, but, <laughs> but we should if we were consistent. But we certainly don't want it. But, but neither do we want to do what, I say, a radical feminist does, which is to say what? It's a kinship institution, but it's not an economic institution. In fact, there isn't even an economy to be to bother with, right? What we want to understand is what's true about each of these four spheres of social life. More than that. More than that. Is there a part of every institution? So in other words, while I said that we were going to carve society into institutions and people, right, boundary and center, and then I said we're going to make four more cuts or three more cuts to make four more sections across both, right, across both people and institutions, kinship, economics, polity, and, and community. In reality, what's true? The economy is what? Everything. The kinship sphere is everything. The culture is everything. The community is everything. The polity is everything. So each of these spheres, if you extend it to its full logical dimensions, is what? Everything. And yet, we can look at society from the angle of one of these spheres. And we can also ask what are the central defining institutions of the sphere, right? And if we ask what the central defining institutions of society seen as that sphere, or as that sphere, you see what I'm saying? It's not, see, this is, this is now, you know, if I was writing this up and trying to write it up academically so that it would be obscure and it would take two years to learn, I could most certainly do that, because this is more complex than 
you know, what most of the stuff like that is. In other words, we're, des we're describing something which we want to think of and understand as, as a piece of the whole, and yet it's also the whole. Right? The kinship sphere is sort of a, it's a part of society. It's, a, it's, a, it's an aspect of society. It's the kinship dimension. And yet, everything that's in it is in all the other aspects, and, and everything is in it. Right? Okay, so, so we still, I want to have the four spheres of social life. And if you drew it, you'd sort of have to draw it as four spheres. And if you put the defining things, they would be in each and separate, right? But then if you let the sphere enlarge to its whole, it's all. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what, let's go back to, um, to uh, those, those, in, those intellectual frameworks, Marxism, feminism, anarchism, uh, uh, nationalism. Are those the only ones that people hold? No. What else? Uh, All right, forget. But but even people who hold one of those, yeah, there are others. And fascism, and stuff. but but even people who hold one of those four, what what else ha sometimes happens? Marxist. Ah, so what's a Marxist feminist? Someone who combines uh, class analysis or gender analysis. So what are they doing? They're taking a set of concepts that emerge from Marxism and one concept from feminism, and they're somehow using both. Think of it as having a toolbox. This is actually a reasonable way to think of what we're doing, because it isn't physics. What did somebody say at the beginning about physics theory? Or about theory? What did you say all the way back at the beginning about theory? Yeah, and it's very tight, very disciplined, very, that's what people like to think they're doing, right, but we're not. Um, because it's not that tight, it's not that disciplined, and because we, it's too complex, and we don't know enough. So the reason why physics has all those equations and seems so difficult is because it's simple. That's the real reason. The real reason it has all that is because it's simple enough to go very, very deep into it, and to get things very, very precise. But the human world is so complex so complicated that we can't get that precise, and we can't get that detailed and exact, and we can't go that deep, and that's why there's not all those equations and all that difficulty. That's very, you know, it's the opposite of what people think. Physics is a very easy realm compared to sociology or economics or any other realm like that that's human, because the human realms are so much more complex, so much more complicated. Right? Every electron is identical to every other electron. We've got a concept called people, like they have a concept called electron, but people are not all identical to each other by a long shot. It's much more complex. All right. So anyway, um, there's Marxist feminists. So the Marxist feminists do that, and then there's socialist feminists. What the hell is the difference? Does anybody want to try this one? <laughs> Have any of you encountered, or are you yourselves? Do you think of yourselves as a Marxist feminist or a socialist feminist? Anybody here? Sure. Sort of. I mean, a lot of people on the left who are very libertarian, this is the closest, you know, label uh, for some. Socialism is such a, like, undefined thing that I don't know specifically what Well, well, all right, anyway, think of, think of those concepts that we elaborated at the beginning. 
and think about you're walking around and imagine you have a little toolbox like a carpenter, right? And, and the carpenter has hammers and screwdrivers and so on. If they only had a hammer in there, they would try and screw in the screws by banging on them. That's like somebody who has an incomplete set of conceptual tools, right? Trying to understand everything with a class concept by trying to bang in a screw, right? So they're trying to understand the, the you know, the um, marriage and the, and the statistics of marriage with just class concepts. It's not as if you won't get something. You will. And so you'll fool yourself into thinking you've gotten everything. You'll see that as the economy goes up and down, you know, divorce goes up and down. And you'll come up with all these brilliant correlations and you'll think, all right, I understand. Right? Just like the person who only has a hammer and who bangs in the screwdriver, who's never seen a screwdriver, thinks that they're doing a good job. And then along comes somebody with a screwdriver and you see that, well, you know, you got it, you got part of it, but you also had this flex coming off all over the place and this, the ridges were, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Don't abuse the analogy, I guess. But in any case, so so we have the two the two we have the toolbox. And the feminist has these feminist tools in there. And what happens is, is that the Marxist feminist, this is really what I think it is in real real life. And they'd be horrified, right? They take the Marxist concepts and they throw them in the toolbox too. Right? They don't change the feminist concepts, they don't change the Marxist concepts. They just put the feminist concepts and put the Marxist concepts in there and they carry around the whole thing. And that's a Marxist feminist. And an anarcho-communist does that with anarchist and Marxist concepts, right? And a Marxist nationalist does it with Marxist and nationalist concepts. And sometimes it leads to, you know, schizophrenia. Um, and sometimes it works. What is the socialist feminist? What distinguished socialist feminism when it emerged in the mid-70s was a gigantic intellectual breakthrough. This is it's not rocket science, right? But this was a big breakthrough, except if you write it in obscure enough words, it seems like it was a genius. It's no genius. They said, wait a second, I'm going to put the feminist concepts in there, I'm going to put the Marxist concepts in there, I should go back and look at the feminist and Marxist concepts and see if they have to be adapted before I put them in the toolbox. You see what I'm saying? I should go back, and, in other words, can I come up with a good analogy? It's, this is a pathetic analogy, but since it was the one I had before. I had a concept of the hammer. Before I knew what a screwdriver it was, the concept of the hammer was smash anything into anything, right? Then I came up with a new concept after I discovered the screwdriver hit nails, right? And screwed screws. So, but the point is, is that the, the, the Marxist concepts, you might have to adapt the concepts of economy, what an economy means, or what class means, or what relations of production mean, or what, et cetera, et cetera. And kinship concepts might have to be adapted <coughs> And then were used all together. That's what socialist feminists did, or tried to do. What are we trying to do? And you can see sort of what we're trying to do, yeah? We're trying to say, we're trying to, to create a framework which pays attention to all four. What does that mean? It has concepts that force us to look at it. What, who, what's the most important thing to be forced to look at for an individual? Another odd question. Okay, well, actually, I'm going to say something very different than that. I could be wrong, you know, but I'm looking for something else. What's the concept that is most, what concept is it most important for me to have in my toolbox? What am I least likely to look at? Which, which, which of these four spheres am I less likely to be good at? Kinship. Kinship. And? Community. 
it, maybe the others too, but certainly those two. Um, right? It, what's very valuable is that you have which concepts? The concepts that aren't the ones that come most naturally. The exact opposite of what everybody strives for. Right? This also will piss people off. But what's needed is not for the constituency that is molded and defined by kinship to spend all its time developing kinship concepts, which it already knows inside out from its own experience, right? but to enrich it with the others. And the same for the other spheres. Right? What the person who has the experience of work needs is not only the economic concepts to be sure, sure right? but certainly the kinship and the, and the community and the race and the, and, and the planet. Right? You need the, the other. It's precisely the fact that you will, and that's why what happens, labor movements tend to leave out stuff. Right? Women's movements tend to leave out stuff. All right, so we need, so what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do is come up with a way of looking at the world which compels each individual who holds it, and even more importantly, social movements that hold it, right, to pay attention to all these four sides of life and to do it in a way that is interactive and effective, right, without overlooking what's important and without paying attention to stuff that's peripheral. That's the art of theory, right? That, that last thing I didn't mention, art, you, you also want, you don't want to waste a lot of time. We're trying to change the world after all. We don't want to spend a ton of time looking at stuff that is unimportant. And you know, Marxist Leninists will hit you with this every so often. Right? They'll say, look, I'm not saying um, sex and gender and race aren't important. I'm not saying they don't affect people. Right? This is a sensible Marxist Leninist. I'm not saying they don't affect people. What I'm saying is that there's a lever that we can change the world with. And if we pay close attention to that lever, right? if we want to understand how the world works in all its dimensions, fine, do all that other shit. But if you want to change the world, there's this lever that you turn having to do with class, and then we get all of it. So why waste time mulling around with all this other stuff when there's this lever that we can turn? Right? We should focus in on that no matter what our priority is. That's not a bad argument if it's true. It's just false. Right? But if it was true, it would be true. In other words, if, the only thing, if there was a way to change the world, to make it what we want it to be, paying attention only to um, one of these four things, or paying attention to none of them and, and instead being concerned only about how to manipulate elections or something. I don't know, right? That's what I would do. I'm not in business to be politically correct. I don't know what you want to be, to even be comprehensive. If I'm doing physics, I want to understand everything. But I'm doing social change. I just want to win. Right? I want to win change. Now, some people won't like that. And so if narrowing in would win, I'd want to narrow in. If broadening out would win, I want to broaden out. My understanding of the world is that broadening out is necessary to win. So it's not just to be right in explanation. It's to be powerful in terms of strategy. You want to? But aren't you falling into your same trap again by Probably. using those particular four ideologies to base on reconceiving the nature of the oh, theory? Good question. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not saying that what we do to try and generate our theory, I, I have made reference to them, because I want to contextualize. But I don't think that what we should do is go back and just pick them up and put them in our toolbox. But even Big mistake. Going back and reconceiving the thinking of them and putting them in your toolbox, you're saying that what's important is the concepts that are developed in nationalism, feminism, and anarchism. They are important. That is what is not existent within those ideological backgrounds. 
I'm it's missing important. that. No, of course it's important. You're right. So what, what I'm saying we want to we want to start in, in the next two sessions. We want to we want to generate a view of society and history, and then of social change, which pays attention to all four, et cetera, et cetera. Now I think in fact we're actually supposed to be done, right? Yes. What time does the next thing start? I'm gonna go a little over. Um, uh, half hour is too long to socialize. Um, <laughs> Kinship. Uh, the, the, um, the, the, when I look at those four frameworks, it seems to me that, in fact, broadly speaking, kinship theory, feminism, in fact emerges from the interests of the group that is at the bottom of the hierarchy that's demarcated by the kinship sphere. We're going to talk more about that. But if you think about it, so which, which is that group? Women. And, it, and I, I, in fact, think that, well, it's not, you know, we may have to enrich or whatever. I do think that it's a manifestation of, historically, the will and the aspirations of women, feminism. I think that, that um, nationalist theory is a manifestation of the will and the aspirations of oppressed minorities and oppressed national groups. So, in other words, it, it has historically stemmed from exactly what we want it to stem from, looking at the world, slicing up the world in a way that is addressing the interests and needs of these two constituencies. I think the same thing is true broadly of anarchism, that anarchism comes into existence historically and develops, manifesting the preferences and the aspirations and the sort of inclinations of people who are oppressed politically. Uh-oh. Now we come to economics. Here I think there's a problem, because I in fact think that Marxism is not that. I don't think that Marxism as, an, as a theory, as a way of looking at the world, is, and the irony is, is that it's Marx who talks about this most. He talks about theories being outgrowths of the worldview and the situation and the inclinations of particular constituencies. And so he says Marxism is what? It's the theory of the working class. In other words, the theory stemming, coming from, and representing the interests and the aspirations and the needs of the working class. In other words, the way of looking at the world, in this case the economy, that sees it in terms of those interests, that measures concepts by their utility for the future of that constituency. I don't think that's what Marxism is. I think that's a crock, basically. In the same way, I think it's a crock that, say, bourgeois ideology or democracy or whatever, whatever things you want are those things in the U.S. Now, that doesn't mean it's completely empty. Marxism is a very powerful framework, which has a lot of truth in it. But I actually think, and you can go think about this, that, that and it'll, it'll come up in the economic stuff a lot, some anyway, that it represents the interests of a different class of people, not working people. That it doesn't, that first and foremost, it isn't a manifestation or a representation of the interests of working people, but rather it's a manifestation and a representation of the interests of another constituency in the economy. Uh, and so when I go to try, you know, it's one thing to build a new theory, it's another thing to start from scratch and building the wheel. So you don't want to sort of sit down in a room and say, oh, I'm going to create a radical theory and I'm going to ignore everything that went before. So you have to have some norms for where you're going to go pick and choose. And I think that we can pick from feminism and from nationalism and from um, anarchism if we are very attuned to what we're going to do next time about how they interact and therefore the things that we have to dispense and include new.